Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Acts. We will be in chapter 2, but before we get there, I want to begin with, I guess it's a point of reference that every pastor has every time that he stands up to, to preach. The question goes through a pastor's mind, what's the best way for me to split this church wide open? And actually, we ask ourselves that, or at least good pastors ask themselves that, not because they want to split a church wide open, but rather because they know that it's possible that in one 30-minute, okay, 45-minute sermon, the pastor can say something that could ultimately take on a life of its own and destroy the church. So this morning, I want you to know that 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 question is on my mind and in my mind. Uh, but this time, I did it on purpose, this, uh, this whole thing that we're about to start with. Did you happen to see the title of the sermon as it's posted on the billboard out front? Now, you see, one of the things that I've done since I've been here, we, we got that sign right after I got here, and I believe that it is a great tool for us and for me especially to use uh, to push into this service and the 830 service uh, by use of sermon titles. And so I try not to just attach some, you know, something because you're supposed to have a title. I try to make it thought-provoking enough and sometimes uh, uh, provoking enough to cause people to sometimes go, oh man, what's going on there? What's the preacher's going to get in trouble this week? And so when I chose the title for this week, I did it knowing that it could split this church wide open and I did it anyway. Anybody see what the title is? What, what is the title? We are charismatic. All right, so let's pray and go home. (laughs) Um, You see, I know full well, and maybe the earlier service is the one that uh, could be a little more split immediately on that, but this is a word that I have used here, charismatic, that is loaded with baggage. And um, just using that title and using that word in the title as we own that word uh, could be really problematic for a lot of people. And so I hope that if you're one of those people that heard, saw that or maybe already in the last couple of minutes as we've started out here, you've heard that and you're going, okay, he's finally done it. We knew that sooner or later he would cut his own throat. Today's the day. If that's you, then I'm going to invite you to listen with both ears today, not just one. Because it's important that we hear the full counsel of this. Uh, If you're going to call me a heretic, as one pastor said, then at least quote me correctly. And so there's some stuff in here that I believe that is not only can I substantiate the use of the term as as a self-description for us as a church, but lives very biblical. Uh, But that doesn't mean necessarily that I'm going to pick it up the way that it has been used in the past. And if you're not really kind of sure how it's been used, uh, one of the things that, that... that we find in the Baptist life of my, in the Baptist world of my life, has been this push against stuff. Now, Baptists have historically, I mean, we came into being because we were against something else. Now, we said that we were for something, but the other people weren't doing it, so we said, we'll just be our own people because we're against that and for this. 
So we kind of built our whole denomination, at least partially, on the stuff that we're against. And so it should not be a surprise to you or to us that things come into the world of church and how we do church that, that we kind of bristle at. And the word charismatic and the charismatic movement that kind of took root in the early 1900s here in America and you know, had this big push across. And by the time I was a kid and into my teenage years, there was this big reaction of Baptists against the charismatics um, because of their, what we consider to be abuses and excesses at the point of speaking in tongues and healing. Now, when we were doing some preaching earlier this year, uh, I, I kind of made the point that we're a little schizophrenic, uh, dual personality as Baptists, because we're against the charismatic approach to healing, but we're quick to fill our prayer meetings with requests that God would heal people. So we don't really know what we believe when it comes to that. But the push against the excesses of the charismatic movement may well have been an overreaction on the part of Baptists historically. We started getting ourselves into some trouble. That speaking in tongues thing, for instance, by the way, Scripture's clear on that that happened. And if it does happen still, then Scripture is very clear about how it should be handled. So if you're planning on speaking in tongues today, uh, I would keep it to yourself. Okay, unless you want to take a chance on getting embarrassed if it's not been done correctly because I've studied on how I'm supposed to deal with it if one of you jump up and do that, so please just don't. Um, But you see, that's been the Baptist position, what I just said. Just don't. But then you see, we, we, we got into this problem because over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, um, some of the big muckety-mucks in the conservative resurgence or as other people call it, the fundamental takeover of the Southern Baptist Convention, some of the big muckety-mucks began to get called on the carpet because they acknowledged that they had a private prayer language. In other words, they prayed in tongues. So once again, we don't really know where we stand on that. I think it may well be that as... um, as a church, as a denomination, at least during my age, we have been reactionary rather than biblical, which is an interesting problem for a people that build themselves and their whole reputation on being people of the word. So all of that kind of comes back to this, and I'm going to substantiate my use of the term today. I'm going to go ahead and say it now. I'm warning you ahead of time my final position on this. So listen with both ears right now if you don't hear anything else I say, okay? We, as a church, are not aligned with the, the charismatic movement of the last hundred years or so, okay? That's not who we are. I don't believe that that would be right for us to take that movement in because I think there are excesses in that movement. But I do believe we should take the term. And I think in in some sense we should recapture the term because the term happens to be really consistent through Scripture. 
Let me give you the, the definition as we begin so that we can work with this. And just so you know, rather than going to, you know, Road Trammel's Dictionary of the Day, I have one of those, like I'm sure you do. We just make words mean whatever we want them to be, and then, you know, everything, that just explains it all away. So the Road Trammel Dictionary of the Day is not the one I went to for this. As a matter of fact, I went into Microsoft Word. How many of you use Microsoft Word just as a point of reference for me? Okay, so the rest of the world, many people in the rest of the world use Microsoft Word. So I went to that, the latest version of it, and I typed in the word charismatic. And then I would hit that right click and you know, it comes up and it has a lookup feature. And so it goes out to their uh, various language use tools. And here's the definition that Microsoft Word's lookup feature gave me. Charismatic means exercising a compelling charm that inspires devotion in others. That is a secular definition. In other words, it's not written for the context that I'm giving you here, which means it's a good one for us to go to to say, okay, how do we use it? But especially what does the world say that it means? Exercising a compelling charm that inspires devotion in others. I'm not interested whether you're for or against this guy, whether you love him or hate him. But 12 years ago in the, the election cycle for the president of the United States, there was this upstart guy in the political arena on the national level named Barack Obama who carried a sense of charisma about himself that was winsome to people. People listened to him. He talked in such a way that it caused crowds, great crowds of people to buy into the stuff that he was saying. Charismatic he was. Now, I'm not necessarily making the connection, but decades ago, there was another guy with the same kind of charismatic flair. His name was Adolf Hitler, and he had the... I'm not connecting them together. I'm just using them as examples. He had the ability to speak stuff into great crowds of people, and they were won over to him. He was charismatic. The term, again, I'll give you the definition after those two examples, exercising a compelling charm that inspires devotion in others. It is a great word. So let's pull it. Same source for the definition. Let's pull it in a little deeper. When they define charisma, a person who is charismatic exercises charisma, right? So charisma, they say, is a divinely conferred power or talent. A divinely conferred power or talent. In other words, with this definition now, they let God in on it. That's interesting because it's a secular publication that's doing this. Charisma. A power given by God. So therefore, for our purposes today, when I say we are charismatic, what I'm saying is that we as a people have been divinely empowered by God in such a way that it draws other people. So are we a charismatic church? Your silence is not golden. So let me just go ahead and see if I can substantiate a little bit further here. Acts chapter 2. 
And in Acts chapter 2 now, we pick up the story of Jesus after he has uh, ascended back to heaven. We could continue reading in there with the disciples then. They go and they, they, we give an, an explanation of what happened to Judas. And then we get the explanation of how they went to pick another guy to take Judas's place. And we get to Acts chapter 2 verse, nine, and, uh, verse 1. Excuse me, and it says this. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind not Russian wind, but rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And here's our verse for today. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Charisma, a divinely conferred power or talent. But charismatic is exercising a compelling charm that inspires devotion in others. So we pick up reading in verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then he lists some of those different people or places where people were from who were there. And those represent dialects or different languages that were spoken. And yet all of them, again, back to verse 7, they, uh, uh, verse 6, they were hearing in their own language. We drop to verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes, and you can go back and finish reading the rest of chapter 2, and you will find that this outpouring of God's Spirit, as these people were filled with the Spirit, empowered them to speak in ways that caused these people from all over the place to hear the message in their own language where they can hear it, whether those disciples spoke their language or whether the Holy Spirit took what was spoken and translated it so the people heard it. Whatever the case, the reality is empowered by God in order to fulfill God's purpose and the outpouring of God gave Simon Peter the opportunity to stand up and give a gospel presentation. I want you to hang on to the package because I want to go back and I want to unpack a couple of things for us that ultimately lead us back to what I just got through saying. Because the reality is if we are in fact charismatic, and I believe we are, I don't believe we have the pew jumping, all that other kind of stuff. My, my, my cousin used to go to a ch- or went to a church, visited a church, and uh, he said, if you ever go to that church, you need to wear your track shoes. I said, well, first of all, I don't want to go to that church if i got to wear track shoes. But why is that? He said, because they have what they call running a lap for Jesus in their worship services. And so while it's all going on, people just start running 
around the inside of the auditorium. A charismatic church by their own definitions. If you want to do that here, wait till we're done. You can run all afternoon. That'll be fine. Okay. Divinely empowered in order to accomplish God's calling. Maybe we should talk about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I, I think this is important for us because it's one of those things that we don't necessarily, uh, I, I don't think we always get it right in our thinking. Um, if, let's say, okay, so to 30 minutes or so, let's say 45 total because we have music at the end. So by the time I finish and the musicians finish and you go out of here, either you will go home for lunch or you will go out to eat for lunch, most of you, okay? And if you go out to eat, you will have a waitress, unless you go to you know, a fast food place, but if you go to a place where you can sit down, a waitress comes to you, they're going to ask you, what do you want to drink? And the answer is, the good East Texas answer is sweet tea. If, you, if they don't offer you that, then you need to just get up and leave, okay? Put a red X over the door and don't ever go back to that place. All right? I, I have a friend. When we go out, he doesn't drink sweet tea because he's a communist like that, but um, <laughs> he drinks a diet drink of some kind. It's not Diet Coors, so I don't know really what it is, but um, he, he says this. I want to diet blank and keep them coming. Okay? And the, the perspective of that is I'm going to drink them and I expect you to keep refilling them. Right? Now, that waitress knows that one of the things they're responsible for is to look at that glass on that table and make sure that they pay attention to it because by definition, it's going to get less and less in the cup. With me? Okay. You know, I ask those questions like that every once in a while, not just for my own good. I, I really want to know that you're with me, all right? So, um, so I'm afraid that, that we sometimes treat this filling the Holy Spirit that way. That somehow we reach points in our lives where we've used up our allotment of the Holy Spirit in our life, and so uh, we need a refilling. You know, there is one of the, one of the, what I consider an excess, and maybe, well, I just straight up, I think it is a heresy that's tied to some of the charismatic movement, is that is that, that some of them, not all of them, but some of them will claim that it's not enough to have a personal experience with Jesus Christ where you trust him as your Savior, they also say that you finally get fully saved when you have a second blessing that is seen when you speak in tongues. Okay, I don't believe that. They call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that's biblical, uh, but it is built into the mix. Okay, I'm not throwing rocks at them. I'm just trying to come down with this is what I believe Scripture teaches, and as a consequence of that, as a church, I believe this is where we stand or need to stand. So is it possible that you can exhaust the Holy Spirit amount that you have so that occasionally you have to kind of wave at God the waiter and say, hey, I need a refilling over here because my cup's getting a little bit low. I don't think any of us would say that's 
what happens, but sometimes we tend to operate that way. Let me put it in terms of a little more direct. Have you ever felt like God was more real and closer to you than he is today? Is there ever been, has there been a time in your life where you can look backwards and go, you know, that was a high water mark for me as a Christian. It was like God was with me. It's like every, let me put it this way. Uh, I did a lot of driving this week. Uh, I got a phone call Monday while I was in staff meeting. And one of the dearest people in our lives as a couple, uh, this dear lady friend of ours had passed away. She had Alzheimer's for about uh, 10 years roughly. She was totally non-communicative for probably the last five years of her life, the last four and a half years of her life. She laid in bed, couldn't get up or anything. She just wasted away. She was such a tremendous lady. And I got a phone call in staff meeting uh, on Monday that she had died and was asked, I had already been asked to go do the funeral. Uh, her husband is uh, a key mentor in my life, retired lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, uh, you know, everything's just so, and so is, is an honor for me to be part of that. And so Thursday morning, I got up and I drove to the Rio Grande Valley and did that funeral service on Thursday night. I came home and I needed to go take care of, you remember last week I talked about shopping in Houston the week before, so I didn't get it all done. So I had to go back through Katie and come back across. All of that to say I got to Houston, Interstate 10, coming through Katie, inside the loop on Interstate 10, Five o'clock on Friday afternoon. Just beat me with something to death rather than have to do that. And so, was, <laughs> you know how that is from, from Katie and Katie Mills area out there coming in. They, they have this, this HOV lane, uh, and it's also uh, the easy tag. I have an easy tag. Why I was sitting in the dead lane instead of in the easy tag lane just bad judgment. But it, it, it's a great example for us. Sometimes in our life with the Holy Spirit, it's like you're in the HOV lane, man, and everything's clicking, you know, like a circuit board on a computer. Things are firing, and it's like God is right there at the desk with you, and everything seems to be God in your life. You see his hand and stuff. You smell his presence in various ways I could to try to substantiate that forever, but the reality is there are those times where it's the HOV lane and everything's cooking. But there are other times in our spiritual lives when we're stuck in Houston traffic and all you see are miles of cars in front of you, lanes of cars. You're just locked in and it's like God is nowhere to be found. True or not true? True that. So in those times when it seems like God is nowhere to be found, does that mean that the Holy Spirit somehow has retracted from you? Does that mean that maybe God is on break and he just doesn't have time for you? Why is it that we get into those times? I think we need to be careful that we don't deny one of those foundational truths uh, as it relates to the Holy Spirit, as we find in this place, this is a watershed moment for the church. Because in Acts chapter 2, we see God doing a major reset on the way he's going to deal with his people. 
It's not that the Holy Spirit hadn't been there before because we can look all through the Old Testament. We find evidence of him. We look in the Gospels and we find the Holy Spirit at work in Jesus' life. And obviously the Holy Spirit at work of John the Baptist. And we can just track it through. So it's not like this is the coming out party for the Holy Spirit in that sense. But it is a major reset on God, with God on how he's going to deal with us. We find in that passage there, verse 4, that these people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he fills them, it's not one of those things where, okay, I'm going to do this now. You'll deplete a little bit of the resource, and so every once in a while I'll come back in and refill it. That's not how this works. Hear me very clearly now. When you decide to trust Jesus as your Savior, and you respond to him as God's only gift for life, to overcome the sin Nature to overcome the sin's curse, best said. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you say, I will be a follower of Jesus Christ, I trust him as my Savior, I choose to make him Lord, at that moment you get all of the Holy Spirit you ever get. And consequently, that's all you ever need. Okay? There's no reason for a second blessing or a baptism of the Holy Spirit later. That's just contrary to, to good uh, interpretation of Scripture. Not throwing rocks, I'm just telling you that's what I believe Scripture teaches here. So the bottom line, we come back, we've got to settle into this truth. When the Holy Spirit indwells you, you... Oh, okay, now I'm going to put another little deal out there. Throw, at Christmas time, we like to use the term or the title for Jesus... That is Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Why do we not use the term Emmanuel or the title Emmanuel for the Holy Spirit? And the answer is, I don't know either. But the Holy Spirit is God with us in a full sense. He comes and he indwells us. I talked last week, and I'm going to talk a little bit today about one particular benefit or what comes with being filled with the Holy Spirit once we make sure we, get, we understand what being filled means. But one of the benefits we talked about last week was when the Holy Spirit comes, God with us, he takes up residence in us. We're filled with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there is discernment that comes with that. We, we have the ability to hear God's interpretation of what we see that we can't make sense of. We have God's direction on how we should function in our life. The other one I talked about last week was the comfort of God, that, that God himself taking up residence within us brings comfort to us. So this being filled with the Holy Spirit, we find it in verse 2, and we will find it as a matter of course throughout the entire book of Acts, throughout the entire remainder of the New Testament. It is emphasized. That is God with us, filled with the Holy Spirit, occurs at the point of conversion where the Holy Spirit indwells us. And from that point forward, filled for us has less to do with how much of Him we have and everything to do with how much of us. He has. You see, in those dry periods for us, in those locked into traffic 
doesn't seem like God's at work times for us. Those happen for us most of the time because we're out of fellowship with him. A lot of things cause that. Sometimes it's we get angry with God about different things. That's, that's like, I don't know about your marriage, but in our marriage, Teresa never gets angry with me. I'm sure you understand that perfectly. <laughs> okay, maybe she does. Um, but you know, in a marriage, if you let anger towards your spouse have a foothold, it'll kill your fellowship with your spouse. How much more true that is when it comes to our relationship with God? I'm not suggesting you don't have reasons to be angry with him because maybe you feel like you do. So I'll tell you the way I said it to another guy not too long ago. You better deal with that because if you don't deal with that, it'll eat your lunch. And it's not that the Holy Spirit leaves you. It's not that he says, okay, I'm going to take a break now. It's just that the fellowship is broken and the ability to hear from him, you short circuit. So whether it's anger or just inattention to the relationship or wandering away or unconfessed sin, all of those kind of things have a way of marginalizing the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. Be filled with the Spirit, we find in another place in Scripture. It's part and parcel of the Christian life. So when you do that, let me spend the last few minutes that I have talking about what being filled with the Holy Spirit brings. And what I have said to this point is, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and when he indwells us, he brings with him the equipment we need to be faithful to our calling. So maybe I should stop at this point and say, okay, so what is our calling? Well, we go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you have that, Spencer, can you throw that up for me real quick? Acts chapter 1, verse 8 gives us our calling uh, because there Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. The disciples are gathered there, and he says this to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, I could talk the rest of the time about the rest of the verse, but I, I just want to lock in on that right there. That whole thing about charisma. And being charismatic pushes us to this realization. God gives us his presence and the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and we're filled with his presence at that point. It is all about us being able to do what he calls us to do. And what he calls us to do is to be his witnesses. Now, one of the points of departure that I have with the charismatic movement of several decades ago, and it's kind of settled out some. You don't, don't hear a lot of the stuff that we used to hear about that. But one of, the, one of the, the beefs that I have with that is so much of that charismatic movement stuff was really focused on the person, on the individual. It makes me feel good. But you see, the filling of the Holy Spirit, there is obviously personal benefit. There's more than that. It is an empowering to do what we're called to do. If you take a job 
and your boss says to you, your responsibility is to do X, Y, Z, and you jump into X, Y, Z, and you realize immediately that you have not been given the resources to pull off X, Y, Z, you will fail at that job. Not because you don't want to do it, but because you don't have the capacity to pull it off. And God knows that for us. He doesn't expect us to do something without giving us the power to pull it off. And so that's the word I use. And I come, this comes from verse 4 of chapter 2. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I don't have time to go through all of this today, but I do want to get to this point. God empowers us to accomplish what we're called to do. And that empowering can, incl- can include extra human capabilities. Iron Man. Captain America. Those kind of things that we're drawn to, you know, that feel-good stuff. These, these guys are superhuman. Okay, we're not, we're not interested in being superhuman. I, I don't really like the human part of me. I don't want to be more human. But I love the fact that God says, I I'm expecting you to be my witnesses. We go back to the book of Matthew, the Great Commission. We're charged with making disciples. How are you going to do that? How are you going to pull that off? And God says, got you covered. My Holy Spirit will indwell you, and with his presence comes nothing less than the power of God. And so in Acts chapter 2, we get this tongue speaking that happens, But it's not the kind of 1 Corinthians. You see, you get over to 1 Corinthians and Paul is correcting an error in the church, which was this uh, gibberish, if you will, uh, that they were calling speaking in tongues. And that's a whole other sermon series. But I, I want us to get to this point. When the Holy Spirit comes here, the power is shown as they're able to speak in ways that other people get it. But what is it that they get, these other people? And the answer is, they get that God is at work in the lives of these disciples. They're testifying, they're witnessing, if you will, to use that verse, to who Jesus Christ is. Holy Spirit comes, they're able to speak, it makes a difference in the lives of those people, and then it ushers in the opportunity for Simon Peter to step up and say, let me tell you about Jesus. So you see, the work of the Holy Spirit in us is not about running laps for Jesus or pushing brooms for Jesus or jumping pews for Jesus or gibberish for Jesus. That's a great great bumper sticker. It's not about that. It ultimately has to push to the opportunity to say, let me tell you about my Jesus. So we will find Acts chapter 3, for instance. Just flip over there. I'm not going to take the time to read it. Don't worry about putting it up there, Spencer. But in Acts chapter 3, you find Peter and John, the two of these disciples. Peter's had a pretty big chapter 2. But that's not good enough for him or for the Holy Spirit, apparently. So chapter 3, they go to the temple. They find this guy there, and and God uses them to heal this guy. You know the passage, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you. And the it's incredible. Go back and read that. I just will throw this at you. Verse 9, And all the people saw this guy who had been lame walking 
and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, etc. So here's the deal. God uses Simon Peter and John to heal the guy. That's that supernatural power. It's not a human thing. You think it is? You go out and find a lame person and and try to make them healed just by speaking the word. Ain't going to happen. Now, if God chooses to do it, it could. But a lot of people even pray for healing. Doesn't happen. Hey, explain that. You know, I love the way one guy said it. Never trust a faith healer who wears glasses. But that's not a denial of the fact that God heals people, right? Let me tell you something. Yesterday, part, part of my travels, we had my granddaughter's fourth birthday party. Seven-acre wood in Conroe, Texas. If it is, in fact, seven acres, which I'm guessing it is, otherwise false advertising. If it's seven acres, yesterday, there were four million people per acre at that place. Oh, my goodness. And so we go over there, and this is, it's a venue, if you will, for little kids' birthday parties. They got a petting zoo, and they got places to ride horse, small horses and that kind of thing. And uh, they got a miniature golf course there. And, you know, it's just a great place to do parties for little kids. Uh, and so we went over there. And we went there last year for her birthday, too. And I remembered yesterday. I had, I had one of those moments where I could separate two years and what God had done in one year's time. I'm talking about healing, remember? So last year in October, when we, when we went over there, the end of October, when we went over there for Mackenzie's birthday party, I was walking with a cane. I was preaching from a chair. Uh, it was all I could do to get up any stairs. And so I was thinking about that yesterday. I walked out there and I looked out and it, it, it kind of starts up here and then it just kind of goes down. I guess there's a creek or something at the back. And um, I remember last year kind of gradually getting out there having to stop several times to rest on the way, afraid that I would fall and not be able to get up, and, uh, and then getting all the way out there at the back of it and turn around looking at it, and it was, it was all uphill from there. And I remember last year going, I don't know if I can make it back up there. And yesterday I'm walking around, and my daughter's with me, and she apparently remembered last year she kept saying, you're, you're walking too much, you need to sit down. And I'm thinking, I feel good. I feel good. You know why I feel good? Because God did a work in my life that I count as healing. So I'm not going to stand up here and say that God doesn't do healing anymore because I think he does. Now, he doesn't heal everything because I still got back pain and I'm going, hello, Lord, finish the job. God empowers his witnesses. And sometimes when he empowers his witnesses, he does so with extra human, that is outside of the human capacity so that it can only be described as the hand of God. But you see, when that happens, we have the responsibility not to step back and go, man, look at me, watch me work. I'm going to heal these people. Y'all come, bring your friends, I'm going to heal them. I've known people like that. When God chooses to use you for something like that, it ain't about you. You just got to know it's not about you. So let me give you four parameters of this 
extra human power that God gives us. First of all, I don't believe that it... Well, I'll say it this way. If God empowers you in a way like that, it is unique to the situation. It is unlikely that if God uses you in healing one time that you're going to be able to go out and open a healing clinic and everybody who comes in is going to get healed. As we find throughout the book of Acts, we will see that from time to time, God steps into a situation and he empowers his people. Now, he's already indwelling those people. But sometimes that gift, the charisma of God works through that person into the life of another. It's unique to the situation. I'll take the next step with this to say that it is never designed for just your personal enjoyment or solely for the personal edification of the witness. In other words, God doesn't do it so you can feel good about yourself. Now, here's the thing about God. When he gets to work in your life, as it goes back to John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Of course, when God works through you into the life of another, you're going to be fulfilled over that. that that's one of those mind-blowing deals that God does through you. But he doesn't do it just so you can feel good. It's for his purpose so that he might receive Honor. So here's the third parameter. The intent ultimately is for the promotion of the kingdom of God. So back to Acts 2. The Holy Spirit comes, empowers them. They speak in these languages people can hear for themselves. It causes the people to go, what is going on here? And Simon Peter then steps up and says, let me tell you about Jesus. There's the intent. There's the full meal deal of God's intent for us as he empowers us through his spirit. So has the spirit of God empowered you so that your witness to other people has credibility? In other words, is the Holy Spirit so filling you are you in such close connection with him and fellowship that the people you are witnessing to have evidence beyond just the argument? See, the reality is a lot of people don't come to Jesus for just the opposite reason. I like to quote Gandhi on this point, who said, loosely quoted, I would be a Christian, except I've known too many Christians. See, that's contrary. That, that's not the way God designed the whole thing. See, I, I want to close with this. Our musicians need to come on up. But um, I think sometimes this whole idea of the Holy Spirit and how we uh, approach the filling of the Spirit in us gets to be, and the empowering of the Spirit in us gets to be really selfish. Here's a case in point. Thursday night, the funeral that I had for this lady was uh, at 7 o'clock. Weird time for a funeral. Um, and after traveling all day, and uh, I'll just be real transparent, I spent a lot of the road between here and Corpus Christi on Thursday just kind of crying, because, not kind of crying, because of this lady and her husband and what they've meant to our lives and 
um, you know, just trying to put the funeral service together in my head, and uh, it was tough. And so when it came time for me to stand up and preach her funeral service, uh, I was really concerned that I could get through it without just losing composure. Nobody likes a crying preacher, and especially at a funeral. Um, and so I found myself sitting out there. My son had part of the service, and so he was doing his thing, and, and I was really concerned about, okay, I, I just need, Lord, so here's my prayer. Lord, don't let me fall apart out there. Don't, don't let me just lose composure and cry through the whole thing. And you know, about that long into that prayer, I, I sensed God saying this to me. Okay, time out. I sensed God saying this to me. Let me put it in terms of this sermon. The Holy Spirit who is indwelling me said this to me internally. This is not about you. That's how I knew it was the Holy Spirit because I never would say that to myself. (laughs) This is not about you. This is an opportunity for you to talk about Jesus. Because Jesus was important to that lady, I guarantee you. She's got some family members who don't have a whole lot of use for Jesus. So don't make this about you. So I'm going to give you the ability to get through this without losing composure. But you point them to me because this is about me. So how is it with you? and people is it about you or does the Holy Spirit say to you don't make this about you this is about me this is about Jesus Christ and that person's need for him you see I think one of the reasons we came up with all those gimmicks and evangelism that I was down you know, bad mouthing a couple of weeks ago the reason we came up with all those gimmicks at least partially is because we overreacted to the charismatic movement and we denied the charisma, the divine empowering of God to accomplish his purposes. So how are you doing with that? Let's pray. And as we pray, my question to you is, where is God in this sermon for you today? Are you stuck in traffic spiritually? If you are, there's no reason for you to feel beat up or anything like that about being here. The good news for you today is that the Holy Spirit himself, if you know Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit is living in you as much today as he was the closest day to him that you can remember. And he wants to have intimate fellowship with you. So just start there. And maybe today is all about a turn in your life at this point to, to kind of reconnect with the God who lives within you who is called the Holy Spirit. It may be that today some of us need to establish that relationship. We've never really come to the point where we said, okay, Jesus, I really do believe you're the Son of God and you are the only way that I can have a relationship with the Holy God. And so you need to fix that today. If that's you, come Come down as we're singing. I would love to talk to you. Aaron will be down here. We'd, we'd love to introduce you to Jesus. Those of us who know Christ 
have people in our lives who need us to be charismatic, divinely empowered by God so that we might be effective in expanding the kingdom of God in such a way that they get their need for Jesus. Today's a day. Let's do something about it. What do you say? Lord, take this time and honor your name and expand your kingdom because of it in Jesus' name. Amen.